Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. And some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing this colt? So they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and they let him go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their garments on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Will you sing with us? Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Children sing their 
you come forward and receive our morning offering, please, at this time? Not all at once now. <laughs> With Irvin Boston, will you lead our offertory prayer, please? Once again, we are blessed to have Demetra Nance with us this morning. And no, this was not planned. She showed up at 9.30 and said, can I play? <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> Thank you, Demetra, for sharing in your talents with us at Rocky Valley and with the Lord of Hosts. Will you stand choir as we continue to sing? How beautiful.
this to be the worship part but his portion is just as much worship as ours Amen. and I don't think we can read too many scriptures in the worship service of the Lord Acts chapter 4 verse 5 and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes as well as Annas and the high priest Caiaphas John and Alexander and as many as were in the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to help this helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. Yes. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given by men, given among men, by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been, made, been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against. As morning dawns and evening Jesus is 
shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it loud. Nothing has the power to save, but Your name. strong and mighty tower, your name is a shelter like no other, your name, let the nation see your love, cause nothing has the power to
Amen, amen. Thank you so much to our accompanists for sharing their amazing talents that God has so blessed them with. Both of you this morning, thank you so much. Thank you to our choir and our music minister for leading us into the music portion of our worship. And thank you, Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved than that name Jesus. And what a beautiful, beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. The king arrives. The king arrives. Now, I am keenly aware that the only thing standing between you and dinner and an egg hunt right now is a sermon. I am also keenly aware that I am the one who has been blessed to give this particular sermon this day. But I ask you to do some mathematics with me this morning. If we were to have a normal service, and I were to preach a regular message, and you were to drive to a restaurant and place an order for your food and wait on it to come to your table, it would be at least 30 minutes after the end of service before you got to eat. So by providing dinner in the back, I can now preach 30 minutes longer than normal. So if you're good with that math, then just buckle up. We're going to take a ride through Palm Sunday. I'm just kidding. I won't preach more than an hour this morning. So this morning, though, we get to gather on this very day, this Palm Sunday, and it is the start of what is known as Holy Week, one of the most important weeks in the life of Jesus and his earthly ministry, but also for a believer, it marks the start of one of the most important weeks for us as believers as we look to Jesus and his earthly ministry. The things that happen during Holy Week affect believers forevermore. The fact that we have salvation and we have hope and we have the precious Lamb of God slain for our sins come during the events of this week. Yes, his time on this earth all pointed to this, but it's kind of set into motion on this Holy Week. And we get the opportunity to look back this morning at what is known as the triumphal entry of Christ as he enters Jerusalem sitting on the back of a donkey, setting into motion the days that lead to the cross of Calvary. We have for a few weeks now been journeying with Jesus as he makes his way to and through and into Jerusalem, and we are going to follow him again on this day on the back of a donkey. Friday night, when we get together, we'll journey through a garden called Gethsemane. We'll walk down the Via Dolorosa as Jesus carries his cross, and we'll gaze upon a hill called Calvary, and we'll see the servant suffering for our sins. But bless God, we'll gather back together next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. 
as we look to Easter and we say, what's so great about Easter? Why would we gather importantly on Easter? And it is because Good Friday wasn't the end. The cross wasn't where it stopped. But on Easter Sunday, the Savior rose. And we can have a blessed assurance and a blessed hope that Jesus is the only name given by which men can be saved. And between that time on that cross and that empty tomb, he earned the name Lord. The name above all names is our Lord. And so please stand this morning. If you are able in the house, for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes upon him, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father God, God, we yearn for you this morning. God, we gather together not needing something of our own intelligence, not needing a word from man, but needing a touch from you. God, you bind anything from this place that isn't focused on you at this moment. Let not any attitude, let not any spirit hinder the moving of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would worship you fully through the preaching and teaching of your word. And it is in your precious and holy name that we pray, as all of God's children said. Amen. And you may be seated. The first thing that we're going to look at this morning is the place that was appointed. The place appointed. Verse 1 gives us some insight to exactly where they were when these events kicked up. It says that when they drew near Jerusalem, came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. And so... I believe if we consider closely, we'll see that it's not just that Jesus kind of looked around in, his, in where he was at geographically. He just kind of was on his journey and he kind of looked around and said, Oh, well, wait a minute. Look where I'm at and I better set some events into motion. It wasn't a, a happenstance, but it was a divinely appointed place where these things were to begin to happen. Here, outside of this town of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is where this journey will end. This entire mission will end. 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived in relative obscurity after his miraculous birth. 
And then for three years, he lived in amazing ministry as he went to and from in the area around Jerusalem geographically. He, he moved around in all of those areas. He healed the sick. He, he, he caused the blind to see. He called the deaf to hear. He caused people who had ceased to live to live again. He breathed life back into the dead. Jesus had an entire three-year ministry that would just rock the world upside down in that area. He taught in such a way that people would say, never before has one taught with such authority. Never before has one taught in quite this way. And so here we have these three years of ministry and these three years of teaching and this journey that Jesus has been on that if you were on the outside looking in, you would have just thought it was a glimpse of a ministry. But what Jesus realized the whole time is that every miracle that he performed, that every time he healed a blind man, that every time he spoke someone back into existence from dead, every time he taught a sermon on the mount, every time Jesus did anything in this ministry, it was for a purpose and it was heading to a place called Jerusalem at this very time. This place that had been appointed for Jesus to end his earthly ministry. Now I'm not going to go all the way back to the manger. But I will sum up kind of the last few weeks specifically of Jesus' time as he travels to Jerusalem. We know that it's during the Passover time that there would be a tremendous crowd of people making their way to Jerusalem because it was Passover and that's what Jewish people did was they made their way into the temple at Jerusalem during the time of Passover. And as Jesus was traveling with this huge crowd, he was coming near to a town called Jericho and we see that as he's traveling with the crowd near the town called Jericho, there was a wee little man perched up in a tree by the name of Zacchaeus. And that wee little man had climbed in that tree hoping to get a glimpse of the Savior. And in the midst of the crowd, the wee little man up in a tree caught the eye of a Savior. And he said, hey, you get down out of that tree. I'm going to your house tonight. And he went to the house of Zacchaeus and delivered salvation to the tax collector. Now, Jesus left from the house of Zacchaeus. He continued upon his journey. He spoke the things to his disciples that we looked at last week together as he told them what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And then he comes upon a blind man named Bartimaeus that we looked at together a few weeks ago and we said how amazing that the Savior and the throng of people heading to the Passover would catch wind of this little blind man on the side of the road and take the time to stop, move the crowd and say let me heal this man not from his blindness but from his death that he owes for his sin. And so Jesus on his way into town is, is making his way in and the throngs of people are quite large as he continues to perform these miracles. Keep in mind that he's just a few weeks removed from speaking to Lazarus as Lazarus sat in his grave clothes and he said, you get up dead man and Lazarus got up and walked out of that tomb. And Jesus is garnering a lot of attention for this journey. That's what's going on here essentially. Jesus is healing and he's calling from the dead and he's doing all of these things and it's causing this crowd of people that would already be large to just increase. Now you not only just have the people traveling into Jerusalem but Passover, but you have a, a crowd of people who are just kind of looking to see what Jesus will do next. Have you ever noticed 
when someone starts to gain popularity in our society, a celebrity or someone starts to star in a lot of films that are critically acclaimed, what happens? The people start to pay attention to every single thing that that person does. You kind of have those actors that kind of go through their seasons and you know that every time something's done, people are looking. Well, imagine that if it wasn't someone starring in some movie, but it was somebody that was making dead men live. The crowd had gotten so big as they began to follow this miracle-working Messiah into Jerusalem. The problem was that they didn't realize they weren't just going to the Passover. They were traveling with the Passover lamb. They weren't just going to sacrifice a lamb. They were walking behind the lamb into town. It says he goes up to Jerusalem because from Jericho where he began, the climb to Jerusalem was some 3,000 feet in elevation. It was only about 15 to 17 miles, but it was 3,000 feet in elevation up to this place. And we don't know a whole lot about the, the town of Bethpage other than that is in very close proximity to Bethany and that it is in the Mount of Olives area. And so it's about 400 feet below Jerusalem in elevation where this town would have been located. Now think about all this going on. Jesus drawing this crowd, many on the pilgrimage, many to see Jesus' miracle. Jesus traveling his way to Jerusalem. And it says in John's account of the gospel... That as Jesus nears this area, he stops and he has a supper with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And this is the one where his feet would be anointed by the oil and she would wipe his feet with her hair to dry. And Judas would ask, why would we waste that oil? Just giving us a glimpse that in just a few weeks he was going to betray the Savior. And so we see all of these things taking place as Jesus travels up. But what I want you to know is the significance of Bethpage and the location in a proximity to, to Jerusalem and Bethany is not just that it was just this place over there. It was a place in the mountains where the donkey would have been used significantly for work. The donkey since the days of Solomon had been gone from a regal creature to a beast of burden. It was no longer the horse. Solomon had made the horse the creature of royalty. The one who was this mighty beast. And the donkey had been related to stomp in the hill countries and in the mountains and assist the farmers as they moved things to and fro. And so Jesus, in all of the going to and fro, in the way to Jerusalem, on the way up there, in all of the crowd, was at this perfectly anointed place as he dined with his friends on his way into town that he would be able to say I want you to go to the village just over there I want you to go right over there you're going to find a donkey for me he was in the place where the donkeys would be I want you to go over there and he wasn't caught up in some power trip it's not like Jesus had all these people following and suddenly became so overcome with the attention that he was getting that he started to bark orders and say, hey, you, you go get my donkey. Go get my trusted steed because I am Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't in a power trip. Jesus was in divine and sovereign control of everything that was happening. 
And here in this place, when he sends his disciples over to get this donkey, he is setting into motion a triumphal entry. But even more importantly, he is initiating a time where the Pharisees would see the people proclaim his name on the way into town and their anger would become so boiled over that if you read John's account of this same story, you'll see that they said, we have to kill this man. Jesus wasn't just by circumstance wanting to ride a donkey into town. He was fulfilling prophecy. He wasn't just by circumstance at this particular time, at this particular place. It was prophetic and not only that, he was fulfilling this, that he would die On the Passover day, on the day when the lambs would be sacrificed, Jesus would give his life. And it was not just some circumstance that he was in this place that had been appointed. And can I tell you just one other neat fact before we move on? It's not just that the place was appointed. It's not just that the time that the Passover was coming. He wasn't just setting these things into motion. Did you know that on the day that Jesus strolled into town, that would have been the day when historically the Jewish people would have selected their lamb that they would sacrifice on Passover. And Jesus divinely in that time presents himself. He says, the lamb has already been chosen. I'm here. The place that was appointed. But not only the place that was perfectly appointed, but the prophecy that was fulfilled. Verses 2 through 9 give us an amazing story of this event and all that was fulfilled with it. Jesus tells his disciples to go into the village. He says, you're going to find a donkey tied with a colt. And they are going to loose them and bring them to me. So, hey, I want you to... To go to the village, I want you to get, you're going to see when you get there, there, there's going to be like a donkey. The donkey's going to have a little baby, and I'm going to need you to bring them to me. They're going to be tied up, so just take them loose, and I want you to bring them on. And now, here's what I want you to know. If anybody says, and just think about that with me. Now, I know there's probably not many of you that have donkeys here today, but you have, most of you have cars. And so I want you to imagine your car in your driveway, and two dudes come up, and they just jump in your car and try to take off. Most of you are going to pitch a fit. I've seen some of you, when somebody takes your seat in church, pitch a fit. So if they took your car, you would go crazy. All right, so this donkey is tied up and this colt beside it, and they would have been pretty valuable to a farmer. And all of a sudden, two guys are going to come up and untie them. And Jesus says, now, if somebody says something to you. Now, it doesn't really give us an exact dialogue between the disciples and the owner of the donkey, but I'm pretty sure the owner of the donkey noticed this going on and probably came out and said, what under heaven are you doing with my donkey? But Jesus had already told him what to say. Then he said, hey, listen, when that guy comes out, all I need you to tell him is that the Lord has need for these animals and that guy will be cool. Now I want you to think about how divine All that had to be to take place. That's pretty special in my opinion. But let's take it a step further. That's not the only thing that's amazing about it. We see that there's a prophecy being fulfilled from Zechariah 9 that tells them that the king is going to be coming lowly and sitting on a donkey. So the king is coming. The prophecy said it would be on a donkey. He's ready to make his last 
travel into the town. He needs to be on a donkey in order to fulfill prophecy. He happens to be in a place that was perfectly appointed where there would be donkeys. It happens to be a place where the people that were there would have known him. And when he said the Lord has need of the donkey, they would have said, okay, take it. That is not something that just happens, people. I don't know if you're getting the magnitude of how sovereign that our God is that everything had to be perfectly timed, perfectly placed, perfectly there in order for all of these things to happen. And you say, well, well, well how, how do these things happen? Well, one, we could just say it's Jesus and supernatural things just, just seem to happen around Jesus. And I would say that that is absolutely true. But did, did you know that it gets even better than that? If you read Mark and Luke's account of this same story, you will find that they mentioned that the donkeys had never been ridden. So not only were there donkeys there, there were donkeys that had never been ridden. Well, why does that matter, Brother Jason? Well, because it was given in that time that an animal that had never been broken or had never been ridden was being reserved for the person that would ride it. In other words, the animals had been saved for the Savior to ride on His triumphal entry. Now I want you to think about that. This beast of burden that would have been used for work purposes and it had never been ridden as it sat there. And Jesus was going to be placed upon it for his final journey into Jerusalem. And all this done to perfectly fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt. The foal of the donkey. Not even just a donkey. It was going to be the colt of a donkey. The lowliest beast of burden for the coronation of a king. The lowliest method of travel for the arrival of the king of the world. Now, I've never seen a king coronated on this earth personally. But I've seen what goes on in England when a prince or, or something is being coronated. And I ain't never seen those guys on a donkey. They have armored brigades. They have parties. There was one queen of England that they said her little crown thing had one jewel in it that's value was in excess of $5 million to ordain a queen. And yet the king of the world, the Messiah, riding into town, and he comes in on the most lowly beast that there could possibly be. And think about this. They had the mother... And the colt. And they didn't even place him on the biggest donkey. He was on the smallest of the lowliest of options for him to be brought into town on. And if you look at the picture, you might be inclined to, to wonder, what kind of king is this? But Jesus is declaring exactly what kind of king he is with his method of arrival. You see, the people, they were looking for a military king. They were looking for a king that would 
strap himself to a big white horse and brandish a flaming sword of wrath and ride into town to overthrow Rome and deliver the kingdom of Israel and make them the people of the people and the people of the people. And that's what they were looking for. But Jesus, by putting himself on this beast of burden, was perfectly explaining to them, that's not the kind of king that I am. I'm not coming to do that kind of thing. He didn't come with a bunch of soldiers. But he came with a bunch of travelers. He didn't come with well-trained archers. He came with pilgrims. He didn't come with a red carpet strolled out. He came with some palm branches and old clothes. But Jesus came in this very way, specifically fulfilling the prophecy along the way, not to come and make war with Rome, but to make peace with God for all men. And as we look to this, you look with me at the end of verse 10. We're going to see our, our last point this morning. It says, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Who, who is this Jesus? And this shows us that while what was going on here looked incredible, what was going on here in the street looked Genuine. What was going on here looked like they were meek and mild and humble as they shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! The term literally means bring us salvation. They were literally shouting, bring us salvation, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bring us salvation in the highest. And if you were on the outside looking in there for a minute, you would say, look at the way they worship. Look at the way they see Jesus. Look at the way they truly praise their Savior. But when you see them ask, who is this? You recognize that they're really caught up in the moment of what is happening. They're actually not really singing a praise to Jesus as much as they're singing a song that they had been trained and rehearsed to sing at this time of year for, for their whole lives. It's called the Hallel. And it's found from Psalms 113 through Psalm 118. And it was, the, it was just the hymn that they would naturally sing every year at the Passover as they made their way into town. And suddenly they see Jesus and they think that the object of their song may be here. And they begin to shout it and they begin to sing it. But they don't have any understanding of what they're even singing about. And how do I know? How do you know that, Brother Jason? That's sort of judgmental. Are you, are you judging these people when you've never met them? Yes, I am. Because in just a few days, these shouts of praise Him are going to become punish Him. These cries of hail Him are soon to become nail Him. You see, they were worshiping Him not because of who He was. They didn't know who He was. They were worshiping him because of what he could do for them. Had nothing to do with, with who he was, that he was the Messiah, that he was the true king of kings. It was merely, what can he do for me? Oh, my friends, as long as Jesus 
was, was, was healing the sick and calling the dead back to life and, and calling tax collectors out of a tree and causing them to give the money back that they had taken. As long as Jesus was doing these things, oh, they were on board with Jesus at that point. As long as Jesus was on his way to overthrow Rome in their minds, they would shout Hosanna in the highest and wave their palm branches. But the minute they realized that when Jesus got to Jerusalem, you know what the first thing he did was when he got to town? He didn't go overthrow Rome. He went to his father's house and he turned the tables over. He wasn't there to overthrow a government. He was there to, to overthrow their system of fake false worship. He was there to say what you're doing means nothing. What you're doing is making a mockery of my father's house. And what I'm doing is coming to save you. And my friend, as long as he was doing what they wanted him to, they wanted to shout Hosanna. But the minute he quit doing what they wanted him to, they wanted to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Get rid of this guy! He's not doing what I thought he was going to do. He's not who I thought he was. I don't want anything to do with him. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. My friends, when he realized that he wasn't there to give them freedom from what they thought their oppression was in Rome, he said, hey, give us Barabbas. We'll take the murderer and the thief. You take Jesus. Give us back Barabbas among us. We'll put him in our midst. Get Jesus out of our way. And my friends, as we close this morning, this leads us to this question. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus to you? Many love him because of what he can do for them. Many cry out to him because they think he's going to be uh, their magic genie in a bottle that's going to give them health and wealth. He's going to make everything better. He's going to make me happy. I'm never going to struggle again. I'm not going to have any trouble again. And my friends, if that is the part of Jesus that you're latching on to, you are going to be sorely misled when one day the wheels still run off. And you're going to say, who was that Jesus? It's what drives me absolutely bonkers about some of the preachers today that will stand in the pulpit and smile real big and hold their microphone and say, if you'll just find your best life now, baloney. There is nothing in this Word of God that says my best life is going to come now. Everything in the Word of God says, in fact, that I'm going to struggle and I'm going to be persecuted and I'm going to be abandoned and I'm going to be beat down and I'm going to be hated by this world. Why? Because it hated my Savior. And if I live like Him, it's going to hate me too. My best life's not now. My best life is there when I'm present with the Savior. But my friend, while my best life might not be now, knowing that I've got my Jesus to carry me through those dark times, it's pretty good right now. No matter what happens. No matter how the wheels run off. And so I ask you, who is this Jesus to you? Is he, is he the one that you, you want to come to uh, when things are bad and say, make everything better, Jesus? Or do you call him Lord? Does he run every facet of your life? Every 
part of your life. Not when things are good, not just when things are bad, but just because of who he is, do you call him Lord? Do you understand that to call him Savior is to say, I want to follow him. Not just I want to be saved, but I want to live for him all the days of my life. And can you worship him when things aren't so great? Because to truly know him is to realize even when things are not so great, that his word says he works together all things for good of those who love him. And to say, I don't know how, God, but I know that you're working this out for my good. You're pruning me right now, God, and I don't know why and I don't know how, but I'll praise you in it. If you're here today and you don't really know who Jesus is, I'm going to sum it up for you real quickly. He's been called by many names. But Lord is the one that he earned on Calvary's hill where he died a bloody death for your sins, was laid door nailed dead in a tomb, but didn't stay there. He was raised. He was resurrected. And he defeated death and he defeated hell along the way. And he did all of that, my friends, so that you could be reconciled to God because you couldn't do it on your own. So who is this Jesus? He is the only name under heaven by which men are saved. That's who he is. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, Lord. God, we thank you for your word and your mercy and your truth. God, we thank you that one day, so many years ago, you were set upon the lowest beast of burden to make a journey into Jerusalem, to set into motion that you would sacrifice yourself for me, God. And God, I can't say thank you enough. I could live a hundred lives and never serve you enough for what you did for me on that cross. So God, if there be someone in your house this morning who needs to come to your altar and say, I need to grab hold of this Jesus. I've been saved, but I haven't lived for you. And on this day, I want to live for you. I want to lay my burdens at your feet, Jesus. And I want to leave them with you. But God, if there be someone here who has never come to know your saving grace, God, I pray you would convict them and save them this very morning. That this Palm Sunday would be the day that their name was etched into the Lamb's Book of Life, Lord. God, you be glorified in everything that happens. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.